Welcome to Bobby Osinski's Inner Circle. I'm Bobby Osinski, and this is a show all about music, music production, and the music business. My guest this week is CD Baby's VP of Marketing, Kevin Bruner. First of all, songs on the charts aren't actually what we listen to. If you look at the Billboard charts, if you look at the Apple Music charts, you might think that hip-hop rules the music world. At least on the charts it does. And in fact, Apple has found that two-thirds of its streams are hip-hop over the last couple months. Nielsen Music says 28% of what we listen to is hip-hop, 20% is rock, 14% pop, 7% country, 5% Latin, 4% dance EDM, 2% children's music, and 2% world music. That being said, a company called Music Watch does the analytics for the music business, And they found that things are a little bit different because the charts don't accurately reflect what we listen to. See, the charts aren't democratic. They're influenced a great deal by heavy listeners who listen more than 10 hours per week. But that's not the majority of listeners. So a music watch asked people what their favorite music was. They came up with a whole different spectrum. 32% loved rock. Only 25% loved hip-hop, 23% 80s and 90s hit songs, 19% country, 15% pop, top 40, and 9% dance EDM. We can break this down even more generationally, which you'd kind of expect. Gen Z claim R&B and hip-hop as their favorite by a 2-to-1 margin over rock, 43% versus 20%. Millennials, though, have 80s and 90s hit songs as their favorite, 28%, then hip-hop at 25%, and country at 21%. Gen X prefers rock and 80s and 90s hits by 2-to-1 margin over R&B and hip-hop. And boomers, as you would expect, favor mostly classic rock and hits from the 50s through the 70s. All that being said, if we look at merch sales, so this is the sales of music merchandise, both at retailers and when you go to a concert. 38% classic rock. 33% 80s and 90s hits. 30% country. 27% top 40 pop hits. 19% metal and 19% hip-hop. So what this shows you is you can look at the charts and they tell you one thing, but it might not be the entire picture. If you have any questions or comments, you can send them to questions at bobbyowinnercircle.com. You can also sign up for my free vocal mixing techniques mini course at bobbyosinskicourses.com and download free ebooks and PDF downloads on mixing, production, mastering, and social media at bobbyosinski.com forward slash free hyphen resources. Now, the Recording Academy's P&E Wing came out with a series of recommendations called Considerations for Recording Studios as They Reopen. So this is just dedicated to recording studios and some guidelines of what they should be doing in order to protect themselves and their clients. 20 recommendations. Now, as you would expect, they recommend a six-foot social distance and face masks and limit the number of people in the studio. They also say, 
Vocalists and players without masks should be in an ISO booth and never in the control room. One of the things I really liked was touchless sign-in and payment, but they also suggested that if you can't take the temperature of a client coming in, then you have them sign a declaration stating that, in fact, they are free of COVID. Of course, this is a cover-your-ass type of statement in case other people get sick. They also suggest you send a copy of the COVID protocols to all clients before a session. Then they suggest that you provide shoe booties or disinfect footwear. I don't think that's going to happen somehow. Of course, frequent hand washing during the day and disinfect frequently touched surfaces like workstations and countertops and handrails and doorknobs. Mics cleaned before and after sessions. If you look on my blog, I have some recommendations on how to disinfect your microphones. It came from DPA. Now, this is interesting. Personal pop filters for vocalists, and they also suggest that all musicians and vocalists bring their own personal headphones. No junk food in the studio and no runners for the food. Boy, that one's going to hurt. And they suggest clients bring their own coffee and water. One of the things that they recommend, I think is really smart, is that every studio should get a UVC light wand because UVC does kill the virus and it's a real fast and simple way to actually disinfect everything very quickly. You just shine that light wand over whatever you want to disinfect and it happens. Now, all that being said, a really good friend of mine who's a top studio musician in Los Angeles told me that he had a session at a very famous recording studio in Hollywood this week. No one was wearing face masks and no one was observing social distancing. He said that the studio manager tried to enforce it and actually they tried for the first three days and then kind of gave up. So that's scary, but if you want to work, you might consider that that's going to happen. I think it's still better if everyone follows these recommendations from the Recording Academy because you want to be safe, you want your clients to be safe, you want them coming back, and also you want to decrease your liability, and this is the way to do it. My guest today is Kevin Bruner, who's the Senior Vice President of Marketing CD Baby. He's also the host of their DIY Musician podcast and an author of many helpful articles on the company's DIY Musician blog. Kevin has spent over 20 years working in the music business, both as an artist and as an industry professional. After college, he joined the Atlanta-based band Small Town Poets, who later signed a recording contract with the major label under the EMI umbrella. Their self-titled debut album received critical acclaim selling over 200,000 copies and landing them a Grammy nomination plus multiple Dove Awards. During the interview, we talked about the value of thinking about marketing early in the recording process, closing down the CD Baby store, helping artists reach more fans, the value of releasing albums, streaming music experience, and much more. I spoke with Kevin via Zoom from his home in Portland. Tell me about your life before CD Baby, because I know it's interesting. I'm in a band called Small Town Poets. Uh, we're still actively releasing music, but before CD Baby, um, years before, I, I went to Nashville to Belmont University, and while I was there, I ended up meeting these guys, and we uh, started a band called Small Town Poets, and uh, 
We were signed to an EMI label uh, in the mid to late 90s and had a couple albums that did well, uh, nominated for a Grammy, multiple Dove Awards, um, sold decently. You know, we weren't superstars, but we sold enough so they'd keep us coming back. And then, you know, uh, one by one, we just started uh, kind of going our separate ways and the band ended up taking a hiatus for a while. And a lot of it was that, you know, at that time, you had to get the approval of somebody in some office somewhere in order to release the music you wrote, in order to connect with fans. And it was this weird thing of like, we had all these fans, but then uh, it felt like the system that was working against us to, uh, for us to be able to capitalize on that relationship directly. Um, of course, we were able to play shows and things like that. But in general, it was, you know, going through our second album, especially after our first one had success, there was a lot of hands in the cookie jar trying to decide what gets uh, released and what songs go on the album. And a lot of that didn't exist before our first album because nobody knew who we were. They didn't care. <laughs> so, uh, so we just kind of all went our separate ways for a bit. And then we started releasing music independently. Um, I, I actually moved to the Northwest and started creating a writing and recording a bunch and started uh, multiple bands up here in the Northwest. And that's actually how I found out about CD Baby because I was like, there's got to be a better way for independent artists to, or just artists in general, to connect directly with their fans. All our fans are over here, we're over here, and there's these people in the middle trying, you know, deciding what we get to release. And why can't we just go directly to them, cut out some of the middlemen, and uh, make more of the money? And, and so that's, you know, I, start, I started using CD Baby and then uh, got a job there. I've been there for 14 years and still releasing music, actually releasing more music lately than uh, I have uh, for many years. And um, still trying to, you know, make things happen in the trenches with other artists. And so we, a big part of what we do is just help artists understand the tools that are available to them to build an audience distribute their music, make sure it's fully monetized and, you know, capitalize on what they're doing. Well, it's especially cool because you are in the trenches. So it's easy then because you've experienced these things that you could express all that to various followers. But I think one thing that oftentimes is missed is, um, you know, you'll get a, a top-notch marketing person telling an artist, this is how you market yourself. And while what they're saying may be correct and true and right, a lot of times I think what they miss is the, uh, a lot of times us artists, we're very emotional beings. <laughs> and, you know, the, there's this emotional uh, process that happens when you're writing, recording, releasing something that doesn't, you don't necessarily always act rationally or just doing, uh, look at it like it's a marketing problem to solve. It's like something you created that you released into the world and that experience changes how you look at things. And so I think it's helpful to be able to understand uh, both sides because I am a marketing guy. That's what I do for my day job at CD Baby. But at the same time, I understand that, you know, releasing music is a very, uh, or writing and recording and going through the creative process is pretty exhausting. And you finish the product and you haven't even released it yet. And you feel like, man, this has been a long road. And, you know, that's when, Usually you're told, all right, get going, go market, go market. And you're like, I just need a break. I just like gave birth and I'm tired. Yeah. So being able to understand those both sides of it is helpful and being able to communicate to artists. I think that's a problem for 
most artists where they consider the marketing part too late in the process. And they would do themselves a big favor if they considered it earlier as they're creating. I'm close to two very big mastering houses. I can walk to them. And one of the things that inevitably when I go there and talk to one of the mastering engineers, they always say to me, you know, I did this great record and I asked the artist, what are you going to do with it? And they said, I don't know. And that that comes (laughs) up more and more. Yeah. But what you're imparting to everybody over your blog and everything, I think that's really helpful. That's for sure. Yeah, it's definitely something that artists should be thinking about uh, in the recording process, in uh, the, the, the lead up to, you know, finishing the mixes and mastering and getting all the pieces ready. Um, yeah, because if you just throw it out there with no plan, uh, chances are nothing will happen. Um, and so that's, that's part of the, you know, taking that time. And, you know, I think a lot of artists get in a rush with the creative process feeling like, they, uh, the second it's done, they have to get it out there. And it's like, that's usually when it's a good time to take a deep breath, pause, make sure that you're setting up a proper release. And, you know, sometimes there, you do need some time to change hats from the creative hat to the strategic hat and, and think about what you're going to do with it and some ideas. Cause especially with the release, there's a lot of opportunities that only exist in that release window. Press is more interested in hearing a story or a pitch from someone. If it's like, this is our new release, there's, uh, like for us, we just released a new song and uh, we got uh, one of the bigger websites in our genre to do a video premiere of the uh, the song. And those things just don't exist when once you burn that release window. Um, there's other opportunities and there's always room for creativity and interesting ways to market yourself. But really that moment of something new is coming out you have the ear of people in a different way and they're more willing to give you a chance. So yeah. that's, it's really important to take, take some time and think about it. So you've been there for 14 years and you've seen a lot of things happen. CD Baby's gone through a lot of changes in, in that time period. And one of the most recent ones that I thought was kind of inevitable was closing the store down. Yeah. In fact, uh, I don't know when people will hear this, but we just officially closed the store yesterday. Yeah. Uh, and that is our physical CD and download store. We still do physical distribution, uh, but it got to a point where um, over 90% of the CDs we were selling and shipping were coming from Amazon and then uh, one of our other distribution partners called Alliance, which gets it in stores. The download sales were just next to nothing um, on our store. And that's because that's not the way people want to engage with music. They're buying from Amazon which is a natural place for them to buy. So we still uh, ship CDs and fulfill orders that people order through Amazon. And we're looking for other ways to uh, be able to fulfill physical. It's not, it's not an end to physical for us, but it was an end to our retail store because our retail store was just, for us, it was becoming a distraction of having to maintain this thing that wasn't profitable for artists, wasn't profitable for us. And it was taking time and energy away from the things that artists have asked us to do, like payment splits and all these other things. It's like, well, do you want that or do you want, uh, sooner or do you want us to keep maintaining this store that no one's using? Um, there are a few artists that were using it and it did have some nice perks, but there's, there's other options. And as far as selling retail or like physical, there's things like Bandcamp. Bandzoogle is a great uh, option if you have an artist website. And 
hopefully we'll have a partnership with, we have a partnership with Banzoogle, but we're hoping to have uh, something in place where if you sell CDs through your Banzoogle store on your artist page, which is commission free, that we'll do the fulfillment for you on the back end. So that's what we're looking at. We were hoping to have that live before we closed the store, but we had to make some choices. And yeah, so in order to move forward, sometimes you have to leave some things in the past. And it's one of those things where it's hard and it's never uh, an easy decision. But in this case, it was the right decision. There's so many artists that still think they have to do an album. They still think that they have to do a CD. At least the ones I run into. But that doesn't seem to be the case on your end or else you'd still have the store up. Well, you know, the thing is, uh, for artists that have CDs, the biggest opportunity we've seen for them to sell them have been at shows. Uh, you know, when, when you're having that fan interaction and it really becomes more of a piece of memorabilia, especially like vinyl. I think that's one of the big resurgence of why vinyl popped up. It wasn't because just or just because people like listening in that format people do but it's also a very nice piece of unique memorabilia that if it's an artist that you love it's like oh this is a cool thing it's an archive of the music but it also looks cool and i can put it in a frame on the wall uh, that you know because they sell frames for that stuff but uh as far as you know engaging with music um and how, where people are buying um, it, it wasn't at our store by and large. And, you know, there are artists that are still shipping and selling a lot of CDs, but definitely the trends have changed. I think the one thing that is interesting that has changed is where, whether it's an album or a single or an EP, that artists have really shifted into a mode of like releasing music and building a catalog, getting new music out there, which I think is always helpful. The one thing that I think uh, was a detriment in the past is that artists would make an album. It'd be expensive, you know, uh, getting all the CDs and everything made. And then they wouldn't release new music for another two, three years. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's funny because in our modern way of releasing music, bands like you too, that disappear for like five years before you get a new album, that just seems ridiculous right now. It's like, just put it out there. You know, it doesn't need to be, uh, you know, take so long. And I think, uh, you know, in the streaming world, there's actually some, uh, especially on Spotify, I'm hoping the other platforms uh, will come along quicker than they have with ways that the platform itself actually pushes your music to more fans. Like this song that we just released a couple weeks ago, we took advantage of the Spotify release tool, which uh, if you have it in their system at least seven days in advance, uh, meaning your distributor has already given it to them, distributed it to them, uh, you can, you know, do their little pitching tool and try and get it in playlist, which, you know, that's probably not going to happen. But what it does is it absolutely pushes it to all your fans through release radar. And we actually saw a, a very nice bump, both the, the release weekend and the following weekend from Spotify pushing that in release radar. And I got an email saying that, you know, artists you love just released some music and there was our album, uh, our new song. And, uh, and so those things are really helping artists reach more fans. Discover Weekly is another thing Spotify has that our song that we released back in the fall just saw a huge spike last week from. And so that's one of those things where these platforms, especially Spotify, 
have things in place that when you release music, it actually pushes it to people that aren't necessarily your fans. And the people that are your fans are actually uh, having a better chance of seeing it. And so the more you release music, the more those things start working on in your favor, um, which has been a nice change in the streaming world. Yeah. Uh, so that, that's why I think a lot of these patterns of user behavior as far as artists releasing music are, have changed a lot because, um, you know, how people consume music has changed some as well. And uh, it, it just allows you to uh, get music out there quicker and to more people. Yeah, I think if you're a younger artist, that's the way you consume music. So you th- you think of it differently. And as the the age group gets older, it's harder to change the paradigm of thinking because you're thinking the way it used to be, and and it's hard to get your arms around the way it is now. So uh, that's that's a big part, I think. I think there's still lots of value in releasing albums. Uh, I don't think the album is dead uh, for a number of reasons. Uh, also, it's interesting, like the Spotify platform, it it uh, treats singles and EPs as second-class releases, where albums, if you look at an artist's disc- discography, it features all the albums. The top album could be five years old, and they could have you know six, seven EPs and singles that have been released since then, but they're going to s- sit below and so there's still some weirdness with how the platforms even treat the various formats uh, that, that isn't equal. But also, I think as an artist, uh, and I've experienced this multiple times, when you release an album now, that gives people, um, especially your diehard fans, the, a reason to spend a lot of time with your music and generate a lot of streams on your behalf where when it's one song, they can only listen to one song so many times before they need to move on. Where when you have an album, they can really spend time with you and get attached to uh, deeper again and go through those phases. I mean, as a music fan, I always go through those phases where I'm like, oh man, I'm, I'm, I feel a big Radiohead binge coming on. I'm just going <laughs> to dive into and I'm going to be consuming Radiohead for a while or any artist that I really like. And I think when you release albums and as your catalog gets bigger, those kind of things can happen with your diehard fans that aren't, that isn't going to happen as much if you just throwing out singles here and there. So yeah. there's still benefits to both. Spotify still seems to be the king of the hill, but that being said, Apple music in at least in the United States has caught it. And I think there's more users and Amazon is coming on strong as well. Is that what you see as uh, coming from CD baby as a distributor? Yeah, the one that I've been really interested in and excited to see uh, what moves they make is Amazon. We just did an exclusive, well, I, uh, we are the first distribution partner that uh, anyone who uses CD Baby, you have access currently to Amazon Music for Artists, which actually has Alexa data in there for you. And it's very interesting um, to see uh, how people are asking about your your music. And it was actually more robust than I expected. I thought it would be similar to, you know, an uh, Apple Music for Artists. It shows you how many Shazams you got and which songs. Where uh, I was expecting uh, that to be the same for Amazon, but it actually says how many requests were for you as an artist, how many were for an album, how many were for a lyric. And so I think that is 
uh, as voice command becomes more integrated in various ways, whether it be cars or homes, uh, just understanding how people are engaging with your music. And it's also different because when you approach a keyboard and type in search words, it's you're different than if you are just saying things out loud. And the things that people might think of, uh, like a lyric or something, might come out differently. So that's that's been interesting to see. But, you know, having spent time with the folks over at Amazon, you know, they admit that, you know, we didn't make some big moves early on, but now we're uh, we're all in on music and you're going to see some big moves by us in the coming months and years. And I expect, I expect them to become a major player because, uh, you know, I think what Spotify did was really set the stage for how the streaming ecosystem can be fundamentally different. People are listening by mood, they're listening, listening by playlist, by what they're doing, whether it's working out or running and, and the way that you can push music to users and keep them discovering new stuff. But, you know, they, they're still not a very profitable company. Yeah. But Amazon has no problem making money. And so I think somebody with deep pockets could really perfect it and take it to a new level that, that um, especially with Amazon, the cool thing is, one thing I should mention is in Amazon Music for Artists, there's this graph that shows your super fans. And your super fans, they identify as people that have, interacted with you digitally, but also bought physical goods from Amazon related to your music. Mm -hmm. And so that really brings the two worlds together in a very powerful way that Amazon, of course, loves the physical world and them being good at the digital world can really bring this unique ecosystem to artists that really drives good revenue. You know, I never thought about this before, but you just mentioned something that made me think about it. Amazon has a very hearty affiliate program. And I guess artists are not affiliates, but you know, they could be pushing product over onto the physical side. And of course, if you get there through an artist one way or the other or through an affiliate, then everything the person buys gets credited to you. So that could be very powerful. I, that's not the case though, right? They're, they're not affiliates, an, an artist. Not currently. I, I'm not that familiar with the affiliate program at Amazon, if there's any stipulations or if anyone can just go sign up for an affiliate account. But uh, yeah, I mean, there, there are those options that, uh, you know, Amazon is, is an artist. If someone shows up to buy your CD through your artist profile and they buy a CD and a vacuum cleaner, uh, maybe you get a kickback. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I know I'm an affiliate, so I know how that goes. And people... They'll go and buy one thing, and next thing I know, they're buying a, a baby carriage, and they're buying all sorts of stuff that I'm making some money off of. Now, is it a lot? No, but it adds up. But it's the same thing as streams. You look at a stream, and you go, well, that's not making me much money, but you know, over a million, two million, ten million, it's like, oh, yeah, okay, there's something substantial now. Yeah. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how Amazon develops it. I think you know the other thing that Spotify did early that was smart is they started giving artists access to merchandise their profile in a meaningful way on the platform. Enough options that it's helpful, but not so many that it becomes, uh, you know, what happened with MySpace that sort of became the beginning of the downfall of MySpace where the, the user experience was so disjointed from profile to profile that it really started to feel like a mess. And uh, so that and the playlist ecosystem are two things that I think that Spotify did that artists really got hooked on and have 
So they started driving all their fans there. I think Amazon has some interesting things that they can do that only Amazon can do that could have that effect where it's like, wait a minute, let's get it. Everybody already has Amazon Prime. Let's get them over there. And now they might buy some shirts and CDs and vinyl and stickers and stream the music. And then we're really making money. I think Apple, it's been interesting. You know, we know some of the folks over there. I don't know any, I don't know that I know many people on the product side, but I know people, you know, on the operations side. And I, I keep asking, you know, when, when are you guys going to, you know, start adding the, some more features because it's, it's clear what people want. And, you know, Apple is doing just fine. They're not hurting. And they have a big user base as well. But when you hear the chatter in the artist community, the reason everyone talks about Spotify is because of the playlist ecosystem that drives music, some of the things on the platform that drives music and the ability to merchandise their music uh, and artist profiles in a meaningful way. And it's not that hard to replicate um, and do things to get artists interested. So we'll see. I think Apple and Amazon, they can be patient. Uh, and there's, you know, there's other services around the world that are becoming very substantial that we don't have here in the States that uh, artists should be aware of if they have fans in different territories or if they live in different territories. I just wanted to go there, actually. I saw that now you distribute in India and Africa as well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Boomplay was the one in Africa that we just added recently, and it's the number one platform in Africa. It's or the fastest growing uh, you know, Spotify and Apple Music are there in various territories, but Boomplay has the most coverage of the whole continent. Uh, and India, we we had a, a couple of services that our music was in, but this, we added the, the big one and, and got that up and running. So both those communities that are really just discovering that they can release music digitally on their own in a meaningful way. So uh, it's really driving the idea that artists do have access to the market, but also opening up um, our catalog to territories where there's lots of music discovery going on. Let's talk about TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> do you have a connection with TikTok at all? I, I mean, it's not like a normal music service. You don't feed it songs. Well, we do distribute to TikTok. They are, they are working on a a streaming platform, but uh, at, a, at its most basic level, it works in a similar way to YouTube monetization where it's ad based. Um, the thing that's interesting about TikTok is the whole platform itself is really driven around music being added to video and a lot of engagement with the music in a lot of the videos. So people do, they'll do a dance to a song then someone else will want to do their version of that song. And the app itself makes it really easy to just instantly create a video, like a video response or a new video using that song. And it, it, it really, it's interesting how it categorizes songs and songs you've used and, and it it's, makes it super easy. So I think, you know, video platforms always evolve. You got the people that are using it early and then when everyone else shows up and a, a wider demographic starts using it, things will start to evolve a little bit. But I think what's interesting about TikTok is that, you know, when you think about it, it's really the only big social video platform out there right now. YouTube used to be considered a social video platform, but it's really not. The way YouTube is designed to work now is for you to own a channel and to release video content that's consistently on a theme, more like a cable show or a cable channel. 
And so it's not intended to have your, you know, five second, 10 second, 20 second, just kind of goofy video. And, uh, you know, there's some other platforms that exist, but TikTok's the one that's really kind of uh, given the idea of, yeah, a video-based social platform is different. And this one actually has some cool features. And, you know, you'll see some content there of variable <laughs> quality and value. But so we'll see what happens. I think it is interesting, though, some of the tools, again, they're proving out that if you allow users use your material to create new things that it can be very powerful okay now there's so many people that aren't working and musicians obviously are not working artists and bands they're probably working on their music hopefully but they're not out playing in front of people so i saw that there was a very interesting blog post about resources for musicians during this time period can you talk about that a little bit yeah, we have a, a, a blog article on the our DIY Musician blog that's very exhaustive. It's got lots of links to various resources around the world, not just for artists in the United States. As, as people have been sending us programs and things, there's lots of uh, links there. Um, so not only does, it, does that article have some advice and link you to places like, here's how you can, uh, some resources about live streaming and, and all that, but links to people like Music Cares who have a big fund to help artists that have been impacted. I've already been seeing people online saying they've already been getting some grants from music cares as uh, you know, for aid for lost income for gigs. And there's other programs in some countries like Canada has a lot of uh, government programs. And so we've been trying to link to them there so people can uh, stay up to date. And, you know, as things are impacted and, you know, things un Continue to, I don't know. I, I was going to use the word unravel. I don't want to use the word unravel. Let's say positive. <laughs> as, the, as things continue to develop, that we will, you know, uh, keep it updated, but also that, you know, when this first started, you may have thought, oh, my gigs aren't until the summer, so I'm good. But, you know, I my band, we have a, a, a corporate gig in June. It was one of the highest paying gigs we've ever had, and it just got canceled. And for a while, I'm like, oh, it's in June. We're good. So as things develop, you might find yourself, oh, this is actually starting to impact me. I wasn't expecting that. You can check that out. Lots of resources. And, you know, we've, uh, as people create funds and resources for artists who have been impacted, we're linking it there and definitely check it out. Has CD Baby found that business has, has increased or decreased during this time period? I'm sure it's changed in some way. Believe it or not, the people distributing music has exploded in the last couple of weeks. So I'm actually curious to see if it's a, a momentary thing or if it is everyone's shifted focus and they're just going to focus on writing, recording, releasing new music, or if it's a, Hey, we're finally getting around to doing the thing we were going to do, but we've been on tour. And now that we're not on tour, we're going to just get it out. And also the other thing that's, you know, that with the timing of this, March is traditionally our highest month for distribution in the year. So it's happening at the same time. So there's several trends. We're kind of digging into data to see um, what, what some of the storylines might be, but definitely seems to be a strong appetite for artists to hunker down and write and record and get new music out. And then once 
the all clear is sounded that everyone is going to hit the road. That's my expectation. So I, with this uh, big influx of distribution, it could be that, you know, late spring, early summer, when everyone's, you know, hitting the road again, that we see um, some softness in that area because it could have been just releases that got moved up. But we'll see. It's something that uh, we were kind of curious to see what would happen, and it's been really, really busy. Now, that being said, I've seen that uh, streaming has gone down in at least the last couple of weeks. Have you seen that? Yeah. So one thing that's interesting, I think this week it's recovered some, and there's several things that just in my mind instantly kind of pop up is that, well, one, no one's commuting, so there's probably an hour on average a day that people aren't listening to music because they're not in their car. And that's one of the number one places people listen to music. And then, so that's going to eat into it. Some, I did see some, uh, some chatter this week that it looked like it was recovering, but the way Spotify pays is interesting that the, the decline that happened probably won't impact what artists get paid because it's not paid really by stream. It's paid by market share. Yeah. And, uh, and the pool of money that's sitting there. So it'll be interesting to see how that, if that was like a momentary sort of decline and now everyone's settling into this is sort of the new normal for a while and adjust their habits. Also, the other thing is, you know, you got a lot of places like retail stores, dentist offices, places where they have streaming services on inside the building playing for customers that have been shut off. So that's something that is going to impact it as well. I would expect Pandora's numbers to take a hit as well, because that's not necessarily included in those streaming numbers, but I would expect that, you know, I go to a lot of places like, uh, like the dentist, they have Pandora playing and that's not going to be on right now. Yeah. Okay. Last question, Kevin, what's the best piece of business advice that maybe you learned along the way or somebody imparted to you? As far as like, as an artist, I think the best advice I can give is that your career is always going to have some ups and downs. And this is probably something I wish someone had told me at the beginning, there's going to be feel, there's going to be moments, whether big moments or little moments where you feel like, man, things are just really working. Some opportunities happening, doors are opening, we're getting some good gigs, seem to have some good engagement and building an audience. And then you're going to have some moments that just feel like dry spells. And uh, like, am I ever going to write a song again? Does anyone care? Um, is our career over? And the thing is with an artist is like, to me, the musical journey, it's a lifelong pursuit. And you just got to keep writing and recording and uh, getting better at your craft and keep releasing music and building a catalog. All the artists... Uh, or I should say the majority of the artists at CD Baby that I see that have built a very nice full-time living from their music. Um, They've all gone about it in different ways, but one of the key things that is always consistent is they've been building a large catalog. So as they build fans, there's more music for those fans to enjoy. Uh, You can have a hit song and it'd be your only song, but like I mentioned earlier, uh, people can only listen to that one song so many times before they're going to move on. But as you build a catalog, they start to just really grow attached to you as an artist and then can enjoy all your music. And that really drives more revenue for you. So to me, that's something that is often overlooked. Uh, 
there's a lot of bad habits artists have where they go, oh, we don't sound like those old albums anymore. We're going to go ahead and pull them down. Well, the people that like those albums aren't thinking that, you know, they still like them. And you're just pulling down entry points into your music, entry points to you as an artist and revenue streams. And uh, so it's about building a catalog and knowing that it's for the long haul. And if you're doing things well and you're developing your craft and, you know, releasing music people love, then uh, things will start happening. And over time, you'll really be able to look back and say, hey, we're actually really made some great progress and things are happening. We're building something and it's going the direction we want. You can find out more about Kevin and read some of his insightful articles at DIYmusician.cdbaby.com. DIYmusician, one word, .cdbaby.com. Thanks for listening and being in my inner circle. Remember, if you have any questions or comments, you can send them to questions at bobbyoinnercircle.com. To listen to other episodes of Bobby Osinski's Inner Circle, go to bobbyosinski.com and select the podcast tab, or go to bobbyoinnercircle.com, or you can find it on iTunes, Stitcher, Mixcloud, Google Play, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Deezer, TuneIn Radio, Radio Public, and Podbean. At bobbyosinski.com and bobbyoinnercircle.com, You'll also find a sign-in form for my newsletter and for alerts for new podcasts. This is Bobby Osinski. I will see you next time. Yeah.